Welcome back to the Jumping Points Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathram, and thank you so much for being here with us today. Today is going to be an outstanding day. We can and we will. That's one of our mottos here on the Jumping Points Podcast, and definitely something that reigns through this conversation I'm having today with Susan Molly. Susan is a retired Air Force veteran. She is an aspiring author working on her first book right now, former executive leader in corporate consulting, and she's now recently founded her own consulting firm where she's helping small businesses who want to scale and grow. She wants to use all of the lessons that she's learned throughout her career from the Air Force Academy, serving in the Air Force, getting married, starting a family, working in corporate America, and now she wants to continue to serve others by helping them follow her path if they'd like to, find a strategy that works, find a mindset that works, find a diet plan. She's also a marathon runner. She has a full life and she shares about what that means to her. One of her mottos, the things we talk about today, that comparison is the death of all joy. That was an amazing part of our conversation to just understand that the thief of happiness is going to be comparison to others. And when we can live When we stop living outside of ourselves and we stop comparing ourselves to others is when we can actually focus on creativity and living to our fullest expression. So we have a great conversation today. She builds in rest into her day and she talks about that with short sprints and how how her running actually informs her decision making in that sense. And we just have a great conversation. Um, She's willing to be bad at something long enough to get good at it. And she shares about what that means and how to practice that in her life. So great conversation coming up. If you are new here, If you're new to the show and this is your first episode checking us out, I want to say thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for giving us your time, taking the time to listen in on this. The Jumping Points podcast. The Jumping Point is that moment in time that you can no longer continue doing what you're doing, but you may be uncertain of what to do next. And the whole point of this podcast is to go seek out those individuals that have met that jumping point, jumped across it, and Now we're learning from their experience. What can we practice in our everyday life to improve our mindset, improve our emotional fitness, our physical fitness, our mental fitness? How can we get better in our business? How can we continue to grow 1% better one day at a time? How do we get across our own jumping points? So hopefully you enjoyed today's episode. If you do, please subscribe wherever you're listening, whether it's Apple, Spotify, YouTube. And I'd like for you to follow me on LinkedIn. I post regular content, written content on LinkedIn. There's also a link below for the Whole Human Method newsletter. That's where we have long-form content as your resource. It's not simply just an aggregation of all the content that's been put out on a weekly basis. It is new, long-form, thought-provoking content designed to help you grow, designed to give you methods actionable items that you can practice in your everyday life. So there's a link in the description with an easy sign up form for that. And with today's episode, if you are a small business, Susan has created a resource for you. If you're a small business and you are looking to grow, maybe you're not quite there yet, or you are in that growth stage and you've been hustling for the last couple of years, and now you need to put some structure around your business and you're looking for a toolkit, she's created a resource for you. It's five items that every strategy toolkit must have. So there's a link right below for that. Really simple. Just click it, sign up. And if you have any questions, you can reach out to her directly. There's a way to contact her built right into that link. All right. And before we get started, I know I talked a little longer than I normally do, but I just want to tell you about the new partnership that we have with Whoop. Whoop is something I believe in. I've been using it for a while now, and it's made a massive difference in my life. It's not just an activity tracker. 
This is not just like a, you know, we know about the garments and the Fitbits and all the stuff that tracks your calories and so on. It goes well beyond that. They unlock personal insights about our specific body and our specific performance. And they focus on recovery. I didn't realize how underslept I was. I didn't realize, I thought, you know, because I worked out and I had what I thought was a healthy heart, I wasn't tracking anything about it. I was doing cardio a couple times a week and I just figured I was healthy. But now I have measurable results. Some nights I don't sleep that well and my heart rate variability drops. Some days I don't manage my diet that well and my heart rate variability drops. I can see what changes in my diet and my behavior does to my actual heart health and my sense of physical fitness. You guys know me. I talk about the whole human method, mentally, physically, and spiritually. Emotional fitness, physical fitness, spiritual fitness. Well, physical fitness is holistic. It's not just about working out. It's about recovering. And Whoop goes way beyond data. They go way beyond numbers. And they offer personalized recommendations based on physiology of the actual individual, based on what they did the day before and what they've done over, say, a 30-day period. I love their graphs. They even have exercises built into their platform now. So they understand that everybody is different. Every body is different. And they offer you an actual plan for the body that you're working with right now to improve it to be the body that you want it to be. And listen, I know the economy is tough right now and you may be looking at your expenses, but there's no expense more important than your health. If you don't have your health, you don't have anything else and you can't improve what you can't measure. And that's why I partnered with them so that we can get at least a bit of a discount for our listeners. So when you use the link below, you get the free whoop and you get $30 off. So use the link below to sign up. I hope it makes a difference in your life the way that it's made in mine. All right, Susan Malley, thank you so much for being here on the Jumping Points podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you, Philip. Yeah, I'm excited to do this. We, um, I don't know what we want to call. We did this before, actually. I don't think we need to be shy about that. That's right. This is take two. Take two. Yeah, take two. We're here in the Archer Hotel in McLean, Virginia. They are uh, a huge supporter of the show, and I'm really grateful for this relationship with them and, and some others. And, and I'm glad you were able to come back out and chat with me. I always like our time together. Yeah. Yeah. We have a good time. Um, so yeah. So for people that don't know what, you know, what your company is or what you've been up to, give us that 30 seconds. And then I want to talk about what it was like being in the air force. That sounds good. Uh, well, I'm Susan Molly, founder and CEO of Molly strategies. It's a strategy advisory to make strategy simple. Uh, I focus on small businesses and love helping entrepreneurs. Yeah, I can tell that we're both fans of Donald Miller just yeah. because was that his story brand sort of like what I do and who I help in that in that structure? You know, I really I just recently read his book and what I appreciated about it was just how how simple it was and how he just um, said kind of let's talk about the client. Let's talk about the pain points and then how we can help and solve not like it's all about us and how amazing we are which I think a lot of people can approach marketing, um, talking more about themselves than um, having empathy to really understand the problems at hand. Yeah. I mean, we can approach a lot of our relationships like that, a lot, whether it's a work relationship or, you know, I, I talked to like executive leaders could think that they're supposed to be the hero for their team. <laughs> we could think we're supposed to be the hero for our partner or other people. And he's really, he's a big proponent on, we're going to be the guide. Not the guide. The hero. I like that. Yeah. We're here to help. And so we're both public speakers and we both do workshops and, and, and help other people. And, you know, we got connected that way. But, you know, the whole point of this podcast is for people that want to be where you are to learn the path. Mm -hmm. 
And hopefully something you say or some experience you've had sticks out to them wherever they are. And that's men, women. Um, and I think I've, what I've really enjoyed, I mean, we, we had a great conversation before we started here, right? right? And um, you just have like a lot of experiences of just being a normal person and figuring life out. Right. Just figuring it out one day at a time. Yeah. Well, did you, and so you were in the Air Force. <laughs> Why you and you actually went to the Air Force Academy too, right? I did. So I grew up in this area uh, in Burke, Virginia, and went to the Air Force Academy. Uh, studied there for four years, and um, then I was in the Air Force for six years. Yeah. Why did you come from a military family, or like why did the Air Force come up? I did. So I was actually born at West Point. Um, my dad was teaching Russian there. My dad attended West Point. My brother did as well. Uh, so we have quite a history of uh, military service in my family. My grandfather was in World War II in the Navy. And so it was kind of always on my radar. Um, and then when I learned about the Air Force Academy and, you know, just kind of being in Colorado and being in the Rockies, it was such an incredible um, place to be. And I, I knew that I wanted to study there. Yeah. So it was your choice, right? Was there, or was there family pressure too? Or I definitely did not feel pressure um, at all. I applied to four other colleges and, you know, wanted to keep my options open. I looked at ROTC, um, but it was one of those things that, you know, this is what you're signing up for. Are you sure you necessarily want to do this? Um, so I felt like I went in with my eyes open, but there was never there was never any pressure to apply or or to serve. How much of television when they show academies and militaries and stuff? How much of that stuff is true? I would love to ask a doctor that question, right? You know, like how much of Scrubs is like actually legit? Um, you know, I think there's probably nuggets and kernels of truth in there, but, you know, they're they're definitely out to to get the, the story and the attention. So there's, um, you know, overall, it was a great experience. There were highs and lows, but I think you can say that in any any path in life. Yeah. What do you so what were the things? So what I found is I've, I've interviewed people that went to West Point uh, Naval Academy, mm -hmm. Air Force Academy. What were some of those things, those early days that stuck out to you, those lessons that you learned? that you still now as an adult, I mean, you're an adult then too, I guess. But, well, I was you know, 17, so yeah. I guess that's debatable. What's still with you? Like that, just like, you know, that wasn't just a, let me teach you how to be in the Air Force lesson. That was a life lesson. You know, I think the first thing that comes to mind is prioritization. So I remember marching to breakfast on the first day in basic training, and I thought, what did I get myself into? Um, you know, I didn't question, do I want to be here? But it was like, whoa, this is real. And uh, later that night, I was studying knowledge. You have to remember knowledge. You know, there's the physical and the mental aspect, et cetera, in basic training. And my roommate um, in basic training, she was 23. So I was 17 when I went in. She had been prior enlisted. And I was studying with my flashlight, like in the dark, because, you know, you're supposed to have the lights out. And she's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm, I'm trying to memorize everything for tomorrow. And she was like, Susan, they're going to yell at you anyway for something. You know, do your best and then get a good night's sleep and wake up and have your best day, you know, the next day. And so I think I learned early on to have a lot on my plate and to be able to try to quickly prioritize. And then for the things that just don't get done, uh, to recognize that I'm human and I can only do so much and to try to do the most important things first. So that was probably one of the biggest lessons. I don't know if I was internalizing it at that point, but I carried that through my time in the Air Force and corporate America and as a small business owner just to be able to manage time pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because there's only so much you can do, it, you know, especially like, so as an entrepreneur and just as a person, I remember being in school and someone, you know, we, we know this, the saying, don't let perfect be the enemy of good enough. Don't let perfect be the enemy of done. Right. Right. Just getting it done. 
But I, I kind of suffered with this idea that if it, it's not enough, that it's not good enough. And I don't know, I never defined what enough was. I never came up with the measurement. I just wanted it to be as good as them. But I never actually asked who, who they who, were. Who are they, right? Right. And this idea of just trying to make it good enough that I would approve of it, but I'm my own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. Is that, have you had to deal with that internal discussion, that internal critic? And what do you do about that? And, and what about your experience there? Yeah. So I think what you're getting at is comparison. And I think that comparison is, can destroy joy. And so a lot of times I've had to say, I have to give myself permission to not know how to do something and to, to learn, to constantly have this growth mindset um, and to not try to be somebody else, but to be who I am and recognize that it's not going to potentially be perfect up front and that's okay. Um, so I think that's kind of something that's helped me along the way, but also gratitude. So if I kind of get in the, um, well, I'm not X or I'm not Y, it's like, well, let's think about what I am and what I do have. And it's something that I try to do daily, multiple times daily, just to refocus on what is actually important and what matters. Because I feel like the world can be really loud um, and it takes a lot of effort and work to kind of push out the noise and to refocus on on what we value. Yeah. You know, so there's a couple words there that mean a lot to me. Refocus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about refocus bands. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but but gratitude, gratitude. So I ask everyone that's been on the show three mm-hmm. questions in particular. Who am I? What is my purpose? And what am I grateful for? Mm-hmm. And, and I ask myself that question every day. And it sounds like you touched on those a little bit. But if you were to ask yourself those three questions, who are you? What is your purpose? And when you make that gratitude list, I really want to hear, or I said list. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Sure. Maybe that's not your practice. But how do you practice gratitude? Sure. Okay, so let's see. Who am I? First thing that comes to mind, I'm a child of God. What is my purpose? To love God and love others. What's the third question? What am I grateful for? What am I grateful for? Wow. I am so grateful for so much. Um, My faith, my family, my friends, my community, my children, my work. Um, I could go on and on uh, about just how many blessings I feel that I have. Do you list that? Is that a morning routine sort of practice? What's your mornings look like? So I do. So each morning I get up at 530, um, stumble over to the teapot, click it on, have my my cup of tea in the morning. I sit down with scripture. I journal. Um, So I'm praying. I'm meditating. When there's a concern on my heart, I write it down. Um, I also write down what I'm grateful for. And what I like to do is reflect on that, you know, over time, something that I was worried about or that I was praying for just to see how that prayer was answered or not answered and how that was potentially a blessing as well. Um, So I spend that first, I would say, 45 minutes to an hour or so kind of in that quiet time. Then I exercise uh, because I I realize that if I don't get it in in the morning, it's not going to happen. Um, and then I'm usually trying to be done by about seven o'clock when my kids are up so that I can get them breakfast and out the door to school. And then I settle into my work, you know, after they're on the bus and that's really my focus time. I'm more of a morning person. So you've got, it sounds like less than 10 things that you do, but in a, in a certain structure, Yeah, like you're reading and were you always, so spirituality and religious, I think are two different things. And Mm -hmm. I've learned to understand the difference between that. I'm a very spiritual person, I seek a relationship with a power outside of myself. And I learned how to do that 
through getting sober and doing other things, but I've seen the trickle down effect and just how much when I work on me, how much it affects other people. Were you always that way? What was your life like before? Were you always this way? <laughs> was I um, religious? Like, were you? So I grew up in a, a, a Christian home. Um, I feel like my faith has deepened over time. Um, and so much of that has been through the community that I've developed through the churches that we've attended. Um, and that has been, you know, whether we've moved, whether we were in Arlington or in Falls Church, we were in the Netherlands and found a great church and connecting in. Um, and I feel like being around a group of individuals that challenge me and push me. And then also having kids who ask me questions like, um, you know, why did, um, you know, where do we come from? Where are we going? And, and talking about things like death, like how, how do you explain that, um, you know, to a, a growing mind? I feel like um, it has pushed me and continues to push me to deepen my faith, to be able to try to not be the answer for everything or know the answer for everything, but be a resource to kind of help my children. When did you, when did you feel that deepening? What was going on in your life when that was starting to deepen? Were you still in the Air Force? Um, so my parents were divorcing in probably the middle school time frame for me. Um, and they had married in the Catholic church, but we went back to church after they were divorced. And so that was kind of my first formative education. Um, and then when I went to the Air Force Academy, I was part of the Catholic choir. And um, then, you know, throughout the Air Force, there's always kind of churches on base. And um, yeah, so it's always been a part of my life, but I feel like it's just been woven in more deeply, especially with the relationships that we've formed with our families, um, you know, meeting on weekends and, and just forming that community. Yeah. See, I asked that just because I have, I don't know, I've had, I've had a very argumentative relationship with a higher power for a long time. Not now, but I have the experience of, you know, I was raised, I was raised Hindu, mm -hmm. um, but I was given this message dogmatically by people that were mean to me in a language I didn't speak. Yeah. Right. And so, and I go through a period of my life where I sort of actively resisted it. I, I, not that, I don't think I ever had a problem with the idea or concept of God, the word God has more baggage than Dulles airport, you know? And, and, and I had that baggage for a while and I don't think I ever had an, an actual issue with the concept of a higher power. I just didn't have a relationship with yeah. it. And in my adult life, I found myself, especially through, like I said, changing, I mean, you know, going through the changes I've had to go through as an individual. And then even more so over the last four years or so of being an entrepreneur and deciding that I want to do something. It's a lot of, faith having. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't a hundred percent sure what I was having faith in, right. but I was acting my way into a better way of thinking. And I was actively taking actions in the opposite of what I thought were good ideas and trusting other people and other things and other mm -hmm. concepts and reading. And I went down around, I started studying and seeking this relationship. And over time I've had that shift in thought process, that sort of shift or change in perception, that spiritual awakening yeah. that people talk about also referred to as a miracle, right? That if you want to and and it's made a huge impact in the way that I communicate with other people and a freedom in which I can share with other people because I'm no longer that concern or that comparison that we talked about uh, has started to fade. But I, I felt that shift. Well, it's all been in, it, it's all past tense. Yeah. You notice I'm saying I felt mm -hmm. that shift, not I'm feeling, um, you know, I made these decisions to turn my thoughts and my ideas over to something else and just ask. And I've had some, some other types of spiritual experiences too. But, um, 
a lot of it was just asking, like, I just, I, I asked that question just because I'm, I, whenever someone openly shares about their relationship with something outside of themselves, I'm, I'm just extra curious, mm-hmm. right? There's not a lot of people that have shared that necessarily on the show, but there seems to be something about just having some, we have faith in something. Even people that call themselves atheists, they knock wood for some reason, right? When they like, oh, let me knock on wood. No, you know, they don't want to, or they're believing in the idea of atheists. I, I think, I don't know. That's like an aside, not normally. Well, I think you're hitting on something that we all, I was reading a book recently. We all have the vision of the good life. You know, what is that? What does that look like? Um, and we're all um, working towards something, whether we kind of recognize that or not. And I think especially you know, in the military and I guess in anything, corporate America and the small business, you know, you're going to run into to, to problems and challenges. And for me, I've had to say, what is the firm foundation on which I stand? So when the world says, you know, or I hear, or I think, you know, you're a failure because of X, Y, or Z, I can go back and say, I may have not succeeded or failed at that, but it doesn't make me a failure. I'm a beloved child of God. That's who I am. Whether this succeeds or fails does not have an impact on my identity. Um, It doesn't mean that I don't strive and I don't work hard. I do every day. Um, But I try to detach that um, outward success from the inward knowledge of who I was created to be. And does that help you deal with uncertainty and failure? And how are you defining success? Or like, yeah, absolutely. So, I you know I'm human, so I feel like oh man, I messed up. You know, I have those thoughts that go through my mind. Um, but I have to, and that's why I come back to that early prayer time because it reminds me every day of what I truly value and what is important. Um, and in setting up my own business, you know, part of it was to continue to shape the life that I wanted for you know that my family and I wanted. Um, and you know, what does that success look like? So in one case, am I trading revenue for more family time? Okay. Well, in my, for that specific situation, that is success. Am I, uh, showing my girls how it is to be an entrepreneur and, you know, what that life is like, the ups and downs to me, that's success. So I think it's taking a step back and looking at what does that look like for each one of us? And, you know, how can we move towards that end? Yeah, that's funny. You know, I ask people, a lot of people say, I, I do this thing. The whole human method is about a couple different things. Mainly it's, it's our emotional fitness, our physical fitness and our spiritual fitness. That's mm-hmm. why yeah. I dug into a little bit of that, that, that conversation. Cause I'm big on that. I, it means a lot to me. You know, I, I, I do this thing where I ask people to rate themselves on how well it's just, we have to be honest, rigorous honesty is the only way we're going to change. Right. If I'm lying to me, I'm definitely lying to you you know, rate, rate ourselves on how well we're doing with our physical fitness, how well we're doing with our financial fitness, how well we're doing with our ability to connect with our relationships, right? Forget about whether or not you're married or you're single or what your relationships with other people, your, your ability to be of service to others, your contribution. Do you feel, how do you feel that you're rate yourself one to 10? I'm a big one to 10 person. I've Mm -hmm. got a fears inventory. I'll share with you here in a second. See what you think about that. But you know, and I ask people, to do that. And then we, then we, then they give me this information. I plot it on a wheel and I ask them how well do their wheel roll? Yeah. Right. And their finances are part of that. Cause when I ask people like, what do they think they'll need to be more happy? They always say, I want more money. Right. If I had more money, I'll be more happy. Well, what are you going to do with more money? Then they say, I'll spend more time with my family. Right. Well, why don't you just spend more time with your family? Right. And then they give you the reasons, right. It's probably tied to their relationships or their ability to communicate. Um, yeah, like you were very clear about that a second ago where you mm-hmm. said, why would I do that? Why would I start this company so that I can have a certain number amount of revenue so that I can spend more time with my, my family? 
Well, I quickly learned as an entrepreneur that nobody knew how much revenue that I made. So you can make $10,000, $100,000, a million dollars, $10 million. And, you know, at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with money. You know, it is a means to an end. And so that's not the message I'm trying to communicate. But I would hit a revenue goal and then I'd hit another and I'd meet it and I'd hit another revenue goal and I'd meet it. And I wasn't... um, incrementally happier with, you know, that additional revenue. Now we tithe in our family. So I appreciated the opportunity to share um, more of that. And, um, you know, it just reminds me of a mentor that I had when I was in the Air Force. I was a second lieutenant. He was a colonel. And he said, Susan, every time you're promoted, consider living like continuing to live like a second lieutenant. So every time you get that promotion, don't just raise your lifestyle to then, you know, I'm living like a captain now. I'm living like, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, And I feel like I've kind of taken that into just a money philosophy around spend, save, and share. And this is what we teach our kids. Um, You know, we spend on what we need and how do we define what we need? Um, How do we save, you know, saving for college, saving for retirement, saving for a rainy day? And then how do we share with others who are in need? Um, And so that's my kind of personal money philosophy. You know, in there, there's investing and all that other stuff. Um, But from a business perspective, I feel the same way. So, you know, what do I spend on in my business? What do I invest in? How can I automate a process so that I can free up some of my time um, to focus on higher order things? Um, Am I saving for a rainy day? As an entrepreneur, you can have ups and downs in revenue, Um, especially as a small business. It can be harder to weather. And then how am I sharing? You know, corporate social responsibility is not just for big business. How am I getting out into the community? Um, I just recently signed up for um, the elementary school career day. And I was I was thinking, like, why, why be standing next to, like, you know, lawyers or doctors or or pilots and, like, uh, you know, or firemen or they can visually see, like, what they do. And I'd be like, I create strategies and I can just see, like, eyes glazing over. But, you know, I want to I want to show young um, boys and girls that there are different um, career paths out there. And say, you know, I spent time in the military. It can look like this. And, you you know, you can do it too. Um, spent time in corporate America. And, and that can look like this. And you can start your own business. And just things that I didn't necessarily know were options. Um, you know, when I grew up, I was like, I'm either going to be a lawyer or a doctor or a scientist. And, you know, that's okay. Those are great. Uh, but there's a lot of other career opportunities out there. And I think it's just getting exposure to them. Did you ever struggle with the idea that you have to choose between being a good person and making money? Did that ever come up? No, because um, I think because I've always had a heart for sharing it. And it, it doesn't mean that I'm a saint by any means, but I don't view money as an end. I view it as a, a means. Um, and there's a lot of good that can be done with it. Um yeah, I only I, I asked. I read a book recently. Um, are you familiar familiar with Jen Sincero? I'm not. She's got a book. It's called "You Are a Well." She's got a series of books. "You Are a Badass." "You Are a Badass at Having Good Habits" or something like that. One of them was <laughs> "You Are a Badass at Making Money." And so I I wasn't you know I was raised middle class. Like my dad was a, he's a front end alignment mechanic. The idea of investing and being on the stock market and knowing how to do these things I didn't. It's only in, in my adult life have I really. I had to make it a purpose. Like I had to put, write it down that mm-hmm. I want to learn about these things. I had to first view it as something that I could learn or that it was an education that I could actually get. Cause I kind of just thought there were some people that knew it and some people that didn't. I had yeah. this very black and white view of life. Like you're either, there's only but so much happiness to go around the world. And if you didn't get it, then you just didn't get it. Like, you know, this very like zero sum game ish. If, if I win, that means someone's losing. 
but I didn't know that. I didn't have that vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And I approached money the same way. I just thought, in fact, I treated money. You can insert relationships and stuff for money too. There's, she does a really good job in that book of giving you inventories and questions to ask to change your mindset around money. The title might be misleading. But she did hit on one thing is that she also suffered with the idea that you had to somehow choose between being a good person and making money. And I didn't realize how much my rhetoric would reinforce that. I would, you know, I may not make a lot of money, but I'm a good person. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, well, who says that you can't be both? Like, why is that? Right. You know, and that makes it a nightmare to send out proposals and invoices when you have that sort of idea running around in your head or even try to do something that would, would earn you more income. And I didn't realize how much of that was driving home a, a conversation with myself of not enough. Interesting. Like I wasn't enough to make more money. I wasn't enough to start that business. I wasn't enough to actually go do that thing. Oh, they can do it. I don't know who they are, but them, they can do it, but I can't. And a lot of it was wrapped in fear too, but slowly but surely over time, as I do these exercises, those things have changed. I've realized how much good comes in the world from having And just running a business, you have more work and capital, you can do more good. If if the business you're doing is helping more people, you can help more people by having that capital. Um, And simply just doing that math. I mean, that that just um, was something that that stood out. Like, you you know, you you have a framework that you're working. It makes sense that you would be the person to help other people create frameworks. You're practicing what you're preaching. You know, we talked about the visionary versus the operator and where you fit in there. But what I hear is that you keep setting up these systems and I happen to know that you're also an athlete. How much of your, your mindset and your, your systematic approach is related to you being an athlete and training for things like marathons and being a runner? How much of that is influenced by what you do there? I have always been involved in sports. I, I, it's hard for me to pick out a memory where I wasn't playing soccer or playing tennis or swimming or diving. Um, and it has really influenced just my entire life, but my approach to business. Um, I think the academy reinforced discipline. Um, but I had a lot of that just because I, I was playing sports my whole life. Um, and so I, I bring a lot of that into the work that I do especially around strategy, because it takes time to develop that. So that's kind of what I talk about is finding time to create that strategy. Um, And then, you know, similar to training for a half marathon or any race, it's you've got to find time to do it. You've got to sign up for the race. You've got to make sure you got the right shoes or whatever you need. Um, And then focus. So from a business perspective is what are my priorities? I can't focus on everything at once. And then how do I sequence that over time? So using the the running analogy, you know, I'm not going to go out and run 10 miles every day to, to train for a half marathon. You know, one of the days I'm going to do strength training. Another day I'm going to do a long, slow distance. Another day I'm going to do a sprint workout. One day I'm going to rest. Um, I'm going to I'm going to have stretching in there and yoga, um, something to kind of counterbalance all of the impact on the body. And I think that you can take a lot of those principles into the business context around focusing on those areas, but also really incorporating rest um, as something that you can't just be pedaled to the metal all the time. And then follow through, you know, actually doing your training plan. You know, this I set out, this is what I was going to do over the six weeks so that I could achieve my goal. Um, and that's really strategy implementation. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road. I think there's a lot of great planning sessions and then things just go in the ether or they go on a, a shelf. 
And I think the hard part is the daily focus to accomplish the objectives that you've set out to do. Um, And that can be anything from training for a half marathon, running a business, creating a meal plan, you know, a lot of things that um, just take that discipline and follow through to see the kind of results that you want. Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, it's funny how high performers played some, discipline is the key. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily always sports, but of the people that I've been interviewing for the show and speaking to and learning from, everyone has had some sort of discipline, whether it was they played an instrument, they played a sport, and it's not even necessarily a team sport, but it's some sort of sport where you have to be really, really bad at it before you can get really, really (laughs) good at it. And going through the process of learning how to be bad at something seems to have massive effects in our adult life to do anything we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, just having that, play, like, how do you, like, discipline, you're familiar with Doc, Jocko Willick, probably. I'm not. No? Who is this? Jocko Willick, uh, Navy SEAL, okay. book, um, Extreme Ownership. Okay. The premise of the book is discipline equals freedom. Yeah. Right. And and I heard you talking about that. If you have if you're disciplined about what you're doing, you don't even have to be motivated to do it. It's what you do anyway. And if it's part of your routine, it's going to get done. And just the hard part. I think that, you know, when we talk about, you know, certain things being hard to do. I think hard. That's what hard feels like. Hard feels like staying on task. Mm -hmm. Hard feels like keeping the plan even though today you feel like you could run three miles, today's your two mile day. Yeah. Right. And same thing in business, same thing in life. Um, what, I mean, what's you, like when you criticize yourself, what does it sound like? Does it sound like one of your parents or sound like someone you met in the military? And how do you pause when you're feeling that? Cause it's, it's gotta come up, right? Like when you, you know, you plan everything, but you forgot your shoes. So you can't run that day. Right. Or, you wanted to wake up at 5 a.m., but it's 5.30 and now you're off. Gosh, you know, it's not like I don't have a constant loop. I, you know, I'm sure I, there are times that I'm criticizing myself, but I also try to intersperse grace. So, yes, I get up at 5.30. If I'm sick, I sleep in. If I've been up at night with a sick kid, I'll sleep in, you know, and especially when I had two kids under two, um, you can believe I wasn't getting up at 5.30, right? You know, I shifted things around. I still had my priorities. I, I changed up my exercise. I did it at different parts of the day. My quiet time wasn't the morning. I I always felt like I was a little bit off, but I still tried to fit it into life. Um, My my criticism doesn't sound like um, I don't hear my parents. um, I don't, they weren't overly critical. Um, I think it's more of a question. I don't know if it's criticism. It can be a fear of like, can I do this? And or can I do that? And when that comes up, um, you know, my husband's been a really good influence. He's like, go back and read your journal, read all the things that you have done and remind yourself that, yes, you can do this, too. Um, So I feel like it's recalling those things that we've done in our past. Um, Like, hey, I jumped out of an airplane. Okay, yes, I can go do this meeting, you know, or I had two kids. Yes, I can go do that. You know, so there's uh, it's all about context and just remembering Uh, You know, what got you here might not get you there. So it's not taking pride in it per se, but it's just recognizing I've come through a lot and I can continue to do that through hard work and education and training and learning. Um, And then realizing that I might not nail it the first time and I've got to keep going. 
Yeah. You've survived everything you've been through up until now. Right? That's true. Remembering that. And it wasn't always easy. And Winston Churchill has a great, great, great quote. And um, Alex Ramosi likes to quote him also is that, uh, you know, confidence is, is built by undeniable proof that you are who you say you are. There you right? go. And so you look back on that undeniable proof, all that other stuff that you've had to go through and do. Uh, it's confidence building. It's not like grandiosity. It's like, no, well, if I can do that, I can probably do this. Yeah. Right. I climbed a mountain with um, some special ops guys. They were army. Sorry. Um, uh, well, Josh was air force. Nice. Um, I, I have some army in the family. So, yeah, you know, yeah. So it's, so you're cool with that. Um, and it, a lot, it, a lot happened on that, on that uh, mountain um, rest and recovery and making sure we took breaks, but accomplishing that. Right remembering that, you know, I've climbed a mountain. Yeah. Right. You know, and we were there with mindful athlete training. Um, and they gave us a lot of exercises about mindset and yeah. calm, focused and engaged, how to actually, you know, train our breathing and our minds. Uh, they've been on the show too, Dr. Hunter Stevens. Um, something you mentioned about rest and recovery though, rec mm -hmm. recognizing that, that that's part of the process. That made me think back to that mountain just because there was a time where I probably, it wasn't my day to lead, but I could have used an extra, I could have used a rest at that moment. Yes. I just didn't want to be the one that had to rest. And I thought I was holding back the team. Um, ended up with blisters because of it. Oh, but, no. Um, no, but um, I'm wearing a Whoop. And Whoop is a, a sponsor of the show. Mm -hmm. And what they promote is, you know, it's not that we're overtraining. It's that we're under recovering. Yeah. Right. And so taking that time to recover, just like you can't get out and run 26 miles right away. Um, doing things in short spurts. How have you found like just getting stuff done, being productive? I mean, you're a mom too. Like when, how do you do all this? Like, I mean, are you setting up spurts like sprints? So I would say every day, you know, you're just out there doing your best. Um, we build rest into our family's rhythm. Um, you know, we, we rest on Sundays. We, uh, observe the Sabbath and doesn't mean that for us we don't go out and do anything but you know it's a time of fellowshipping with other families going to church cooking a big meal and for me that is a cognitive reset for the week um, I feel like having things that are outside of work that I'm you know I, I feel like I'm a hard charger during the week but on the weekend I'm you know reading a book on x y or z but it's unrelated to business and in many ways that's that spurs my creativity because I'm thinking about other things. Like I just wrote something recently about rock climbing and, um, you know, I'm learning how to knit and I'm terrible. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> but it's so humbling. Um, one of my daughters is teaching me and she's like, no, mom, you got to do it like this. Um, but just trying to do other things that I'm continuing to learn other skills and just, you know, play. Um, I, I feel like that's really important. Um, and I just think as a society, we don't value that as much. And, you know, having lived in Italy when I was in the Air Force, I saw how the Italians embraced La Dolce Vita. Um, and I was like, I'm going to bring this back to America. You know, like after a year, you just you get back into your rhythms. Um, we lived in the Netherlands for two years. And there's definitely a rhythm there that is just different. And I feel like I've tried to intersperse that in as much as I can. Um, and that's a weekly practice, you know, daily, even just going for a walk in the middle of the day, 10 minutes, just kind of reset. Um, so I'm, 
you know, there's no perfect, uh, I, I think, answer, but those are two practices that help me, um, especially when I just get overwhelmed with technology and just kind of feel like I need a brain break um, to, to do something new. You unplug? Like, are you, you take time, like, put your phone down, walk I, away? I do. So I physically, um, like, remove my phone from my sight when I'm, we don't keep it at the, the table. And if, you know, I have it close by, I'll put something over it so I don't think about it or see it. I've taken apps off of my phone. The other day I was uh, visiting a friend and I was going to open up Netflix and I couldn't find it. And I had forgotten that like two and a half months ago, I took it off my phone. I'm like, there's a reason I took it off my phone because I was just trying to kill time and I didn't need to, to do it. And there's nothing wrong with Netflix. But um, for me, I just need it out of sight, out of mind. And a lot of it is I'm coordinating, you know, kid get togethers. I'm coordinating doctor's appointments. There's work coming through. And you know, I think I, I didn't look at my phone the other day and I had like 78 text messages. And I was like, I need a break from this. Um, and that's okay. And I also want to be a visual model for my kids for how to engage with technology. And um, I don't have it perfected by any means, but I know that there is a pull. And if they can see that, you know, this is how our family does it, then maybe they can kind of break the mold as well. Yeah. Just being reactive to the phone. I try to spend my first hour of the day not touching my phone. Yeah, same here. Unless it's to put on a book because I use Audible, but not checking email, not checking any sort of like social or whatever. It's, you know, and it's hard. I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of people like Kristen Holmes, who's also been on the show. Whoop, she talks about that first hour of the day. It's just so important to get 10 minutes worth of sunlight in your eyes, yeah. right? Before you're consuming uh, coffee. Just right. to let dopamine and, you know, the uh, adenosine wear off in mm-hmm. our brains. Uh, we avoid the crash and just what that does for us in our psychology, just as a person, forget about work and everything else, but just yeah. as a person, as a human being, so that we aren't in, we're not in fight or flight all day long in reaction mode. Right. And, and you're trying to teach your kids that. I mean, do you, I mean, are you concerned about social media and like having too much of it, too much stimulus? I definitely am. I mean... Um, I've seen the effects that it's had on me. So I've taken it off of my phone. You know, I got off of Facebook many years ago just because I was like, I think I have like a, a small account so I can run one of our, um, one of my college uh, newsletter updates. But um, I just realized that I need to engage it in a way, in, in a way with it that it has boundaries. And if other people are stronger and can do it in a better way, I'm like more power to you. But I just found that it was easy for me to, spend too much time there. Uh, so it's not on my phone. I engage in limited spurts. You know, I'll be on LinkedIn and I'll, you know, I'll post, but then I'm off um, because I, I want to put my time and my focus and my energy in other places. Um, not that that's bad in itself. Um, you know, it's just another means to an end, but um, you know, our, our kids are still fairly young, so we haven't hit too much of that yet, but I think we're on the cusp of that. And how can they you know, engage in a way that is healthy, you know, especially for girls. Um, so yeah, it's definitely on my radar. I don't have all the answers. <laughs> You've heard me say that a couple of times, but I try through that modeling um, to just use it as a tool and not be used by it. Yeah, that's huge. Um, when did you, when did you guys get married? How'd you meet your husband? So I met my husband, Greg, at the Air Force Academy. We are classmates. Um, we didn't know each other very well. Um, he went to his first assignment. I went to mine. And then we were both stationed at Aviano. And I like to joke we met over a spaghetti dinner. It was at the um, 
Youth for Christ High School kind of after school club. We were both volunteering there and we became friends and then uh, said, hey, I think I remember you from Colorado and just struck up a conversation. And um, yeah, the rest is history. Yeah. And how long were you like, when did you have kids? Like, um, So we had been married for five years. I had my first in 2015 and second in 2016. Yeah. And so were you, were you planning to get out of the military at that point or was it like kids or you like, we want to do other things with our lives? So, maybe- so I got out in 2009 and Greg got out in 2010. So we got married, I guess he technically was in, but I was already, um, had separated by that time. And I knew, so you incur a five-year commitment whenever you go to a service academy. And I knew that I wanted to serve, you know, that commitment, but that, um, I would be in for probably five or six years. I, at no point did I really think I wanted to have a career. I always wanted to serve. I wanted that opportunity, wanted to travel. Um, but I also, I really wanted to pursue a business career. So yeah, and here you are, here you are, uh, CEO of your own consulting firm. Why did you, cause you were, you were with booze, right? You were with, you were with some pretty well-known companies and, and I'm assuming doing okay. Why did you want to do what you're doing now versus that? Like, what was it? So I joined Booz Allen in 2009 after I got out of the Air Force and I was there for um, 11 years until 2020. And there were kind of, I guess there were kind of three things that led me in this direction to pursue entrepreneurship. So the first was my kind of second focus at Booz Allen. There was kind of, I focused on analytics and then the second was cybersecurity and the third was transformation. And so kind of during the, the cybersecurity years, I was on the Booz Allen commercial team, which was essentially at that time, um, like a small business within a larger company. So there were 150 people, it was very entrepreneurial. Um, and I was helping to create small businesses, essentially these small cybersecurity organizations across automotive and retail and um, oil and gas and cybersecurity product vendors. So I learned how to structure small businesses. And um, I thought, you know, I think I could do this. You know, what would this be like? So that was around 2015. And then I had my first daughter. And then I thought, well, it'd be really cool to start my own business to kind of create the life that, um, that I'd like for my family. Um, so I started going to women business center trainings, listening to podcasts, reading books. So you'll see that's 2015. And, you know, I, I, I launched in 2020. Um, so in 2019, our family moved to the Netherlands for Greg's work. And, um, it was just the natural jumping point for me to kind of think about going out on my own. So I took a year sabbatical when we got there, which was fantastic. I rode my Bach Feets, which is the bucket bike, had the kids in the front and um, learned Dutch, uh, got to know the community and just had an incredible year. I'm really thankful for that opportunity. And then um, the pandemic hit. So I got to homeschool for a little bit. <laughs> that was a definite um, learning experience. But thankfully, the Dutch kept their kids in school for most of the time. So that was only two six week periods. And then after my sabbatical ended, I started the company um, and the rest is history. Well, you took the words right out of my mouth, right? So I ask everybody about the jumping off point. Yeah. I'm assuming that was yours, right? That was your moment? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, you know, I jumped out of a literal airplane when I was in the Air Force. Um, and I feel like you can, you know, drawing the parallel, you can prepare. And we had some great training, but there's nothing like taking that step out of the plane. And I remember I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not on the plane anymore. I got to pull. And we pulled our own cords. Um and it was kind of the same with launching my own business. You know, I had thought about it for so long and prayed about it and prepared for it. And then you just got to do it. And there's so many things that I feel like I've learned, you know, in the past three years that there's no way I could have known until I had, had just done it. And I'm still doing that every day. Um, 
but I love it because it's it's unlocked this creativity that I have just felt over the past, you know, three years and and leading up to it and such joy. You know, not every day is perfect, but it's so much fun. And I think that's what is, you know, I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm hoping and feeling like I'm helping others. And so it's just this new phase of life and I'm um, really grateful for it. Yeah. Just unlocking that potential that's within us all, but it's, yeah. we can get lost and we can get used to our everyday shuffle and, and we forget that, yeah, we're capable of so much more. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that's a lot of what, uh, what you help people understand about yeah. their business and what they're doing and give them structure. Who, if people wanted to reach out to you to work with you, who's your, who's your perfect client and how do they get in touch with you? My ideal client is the founder, president, CEO of a small business that's looking to scale and grow. Um, so usually that's under 50 employees, anywhere from one to 20 million. Um, that is looking to take the next step. And I work with a lot of um, CEOs who are, they're, they're trying to take some things off their plate and build that kind of that second team. So how do they build the infrastructure uh, and the team to carry forward the vision and the work that they've started? Is that a particular industry, service-based businesses or technology? A lot of times or? it's um, technology and professional services businesses. Okay. So business to business. Business type. to business. Correct. Yeah. Well, that's good stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank I'm really you for glad. having me. This is such a joy. And thank you for the work that you do. It's really powerful. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. And uh, take two is even better. There you go. So um, yeah, look forward to having you on. And Oh, and you're writing a book. I am writing a book. So hopefully next time we talk, I can uh, share more. Yeah. Let's make that a plan. When the book is done and you're, you're launching it, come back on. I'd love to share it out. That with sounds good. You know me. I like plans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>